What's going on, everybody? My name is Rob, and I'm the host of The Curated Culture, a weekly podcast dedicated to dissecting the latest and greatest news from around the world of tech and pop culture. Now, we all know the internet can be a busy, noisy place, so let us calm that noise for you. Join us as we discuss the latest and greatest topics from the people and sources that matter most. Check us out every Thursday as we jump into fresh, original content, new interviews, and a host of other subjects that we know you'll find interesting. So jump in whatever your favorite podcast app is and search The Curated Culture. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. And in the meantime, we'll catch y'all on the air. And welcome back to Realistic Sustainability. I'm Mike, and I am here with a special guest. I have Jessica Purcell. How are you today? I'm great, Mike. How are you? Thanks for having me. Hey, no problem. Thank you for for taking the time and coming on. Jessica, I'm going to go through this large resume real quick so everybody knows. I'm sure some listeners already know, but we'll go from there. The creator and curator of ThoughtfullySustainable.com, the co-founder of RaisingGlobalKittisons.com, nailed it. In case you're wondering, I screwed that up like 14 times before now. A lifelong educator, an author, blogger, and a sustainability Instagram influencer. Did I get them all? Wow, that sounds impressive. I'm impressed with myself. Thank you. You got them. (laughs) Man, it's a list. So thank you so much for taking the time to come on to the show. We really do appreciate it. Most of our listeners know how I feel about STEM and kids' education and how that fits into sustainability. I was excited that you said yes, so we could have this conversation today. We're going to delve into some of your projects, but first of all, super simple. Just tell the listeners who you are. Sure. So my name is Jess, and I grew up in a little tiny town in Pennsylvania where I fell in love with all things nature. And when it was time to make those big decisions about what to do after high school, I kind of waffled, did I want to do education or did I want to do science? And after a coin toss, I chose to go forward in science. And so I studied biology, specifically marine science. And after graduation, did some time in a biochemistry lab. I worked on some research. And I realized at that point that as much as I adored science and being behind beakers and test tubes, I kind of missed the Uh, connection with students and with other people. And so my boyfriend, now husband at the time, had decided he was going to go on and get a graduate degree in marine science as well. So you're getting the idea that we are a science nerd family over here. And I said, all right, well, I'm coming along with you. So we uprooted ourselves from Pennsylvania and moved to Louisiana. And in the state of Louisiana, at the time, we're talking early 2000s, They were really, really eager to have people in the teaching profession that had backgrounds in science and math. They were kind of short on science and math educators. And so I thought this was kind of a perfect opportunity for me to be able to jump into the education space. And so I started uh, going back to school and simultaneously teaching high school chemistry. And I never looked back. I love the connection of students. I love being able to bring my background in science uh, to the classroom. And it just so happened that while I started teaching in Louisiana, I was there for a couple of years, Hurricane Katrina happened. 
And a lot of my students I wound up adopting had come from the New Orleans area. And I, I realized at that point that although I was teaching chemistry and, you know, going by the book of the standards and, the, and following to the T what the state wanted us to teach, that I felt a need to be able to figure out a way to explain things about climate change and actions that the students could take to make them feel like they weren't powerless in an environment where hurricanes were going to get more intense. And obviously Katrina was uh, proof of that. And unfortunately for many of my students, proof because they had to leave their homes. It was at that time where I saw that my educating in chemistry could also really work well together with also educating kids about sustainability to be able to give them some hope and, and allow them to have a feeling of power that they could work towards avoiding some climactic disasters that low-lying coastal communities are going to be facing in the next decades if they're not already facing it. Well, that's one of the questions I had is it's not common for science nerds and sustainability to always come together. Uh, it, it's always kind of bewildered me a little bit because it it's a natural fit for science education and sustainability to be to be all in one. And that's where I was wondering, like I found sustainability in college as an adult and just kind of fell in love with the riddle, like the most worthwhile riddle we'll ever solve as humans. Where did you find that? Was it the hurricane that created that love for sustainability and, and made that connection? Where was that? Mike, I think for me, the coming together of science and sustainability really started to make an impact in my own life when I started looking at the my own choices that I was making at home and realizing how, because I had a science background, it was easy for me to see what was truly an important thing to change and what could be seen as the typical term of greenwashing, you know, where companies will say, oh, this is biodegradable or this is eco-friendly. And with a science background, I felt empowered to say, okay, this is great and this is just junk. And it quickly appeared to me that, that that's not, because I have a background in science, I was able to navigate that, but that's not common for many people. And so I thought, you know, I should really start explaining in simplistic terms, the science behind sustainability so that people could make their own choices. For example, back to Louisiana, I was teaching a classroom of 35 students who I would say 75% of those students' parents were uh, working in the oil and gas industry. And so I couldn't just go into that classroom and say fossil fuels are bad right? because right. you know that would be ostracizing all of these students and their families and that's how they made a living. So I realized that you know if we're going to talk about sustainability and we're going to talk about science, we need to just get back down to the basics of explaining simplistically things like greenhouse gases and increasing global temperatures and how our individual actions can start to lessen those impacts and not to put blame anywhere, um, but just to start talking about some of the facts and how those facts can affect people and then let students and parents come to their own conclusions. Yeah, I think sometimes just understanding it in a deeper way 
people then can see where they connect and where they don't connect. I mean, there's a lot of misinformation that gets thrown out every single day that has kind of some propaganda tied to it. But when you understand the basics, you've proven the basics, it makes it a little harder to, to, to look away from. And I think that's that's a great explanation. Now, you built a website. So somewhere along the line, it got so strong in you that you decided, I'm going to learn how to web develop, and I'm going to put up a website to communicate with others. Tell me a little more about Thoughtfully Sustainable. Sure. So I have to, I have to give credit to friends because I have, I have no knowledge about web design, but I have great friends that do. So they walk me through the process of setting up a website. Thank goodness. The power of community, right? Mm-hmm. Well, after 10 years of being in the classroom teaching and we moved all over the country, I was in North Dakota and North Carolina. What's up? I said, oh my, (laughs) all over the place. (laughs) So after moving all over the country, I decided that, well, I had the opportunity to be able to stay home with my now two kids. We're about 10, 12 years in the future. And so I had the opportunity to stay home and I, I really wanted to. And so home with my kids, we started still doing, you know, simple science experiments because, you know, you can take a teacher out of the classroom, but you can't keep them from teaching. Like it's just innate. And so we'd start playing around with like compostable packing peanuts and I'd show them how they dissolved in water and how the styrofoam ones, you know, the polystyrene ones don't. And I started sharing it on Instagram because what else does a stay-at-home mom do but share her science on Instagram, right? So I started sharing some of the lessons we were doing and just having fun. And it seemed to resonate with the community on Instagram that I had started to build. And I decided, you know what, I should probably make a place where these lessons that I'm doing could actually live and, you know, and and be able to be accessible to parents and to teachers. And so after connecting with a friend of mine who was very good at developing websites, I decided, you know what, I'm going to put together a website so I have somewhere where parents can go and teachers can go to be able to do some of these simple lessons that are basic science you can do with things that you have at the house, but that address sustainability concepts. Well, and I know that there's there's a disconnect even with educators when it comes to STEM. A lot of times I've had to help train classes on how to teach STEM when it's really not that much different. It's just literally curiosity. So there's parents always out, there's educators always out scrubbing the internet, looking for little projects they can do with an understanding that they can understand, because it's really not as challenging as people make it out to be. They turn STEM into this big, crazy, scary thing. It's generally pretty, it's just fun. We're just playing. Right. You know, and so you've kind of created this little hub, which by the way, I'll be using. Uh, to to find new ways to communicate STEM. Why is it so important? Well, first of all, let me skip back a little bit. What age groups is most of this content aimed around? The content that I create goes anywhere from pre-K to eighth grade. Okay. Um, my chemistry, sometimes I can dive into the chemistry a little bit deeper so it gets a little bit higher level. But we have just as much fun with pre-K students too. Okay. So... It really gives a broad spectrum for people who are looking for those resources. Excellent. Why is it so important that you think that STEM needs to be embedded so early in a child's life? That's such a good question. So kids are innately curious and they innately want to help. And so with STEM, you can address the curiosity. And then with the sustainability piece, 
you can show them how their curiosity can actually lead them to being able to be a helper in their community and in their home. For example, simple photosynthesis. Sounds like a big high school chemistry or biology term, but just showing kids a simple way of how plants make oxygen, super helpful for us. They also take out that carbon dioxide in the air, which we're not that keen on too much of it. They learn a great STEM lesson. They get to design an experiment that shows them, wow, these green plants make oxygen for me to, to breathe. But then you can pull the sustainability in there and say, and so if you plant more plants outside, or you plant native wildlife species, oh my goodness, now you're helping the community. You're building a great habitat for pollinators, which, oh, by the way, it's gonna help the farmer down the street. Now all of a sudden you've empowered children to not only be able to know about some science, but that they can feel like they can have an impact. So that, you know, fast forward 30 years from that for them, they won't be in this doom and gloom state which unfortunately I find so many grownups today are in terms of climate change, because they don't know, oh, there's nothing we can do. Oh my goodness, well, then we just won't do anything. If we can get kids now saying, wait, I know we can, because I know the science and I know its applications. That's what I'm hopeful for and why I think you've got to embed just simple STEM lessons in kids as early as possible. Which is one of the reasons why we talk about little bit, little bit, big bit on a regular basis, because I think some of these have grown to be so large that they're overwhelming. I get messages from people who are like, I'm just so worried. It bothers me. It creates anxiety. And you have to kind of stop for a second and say, what can you do just this little thing? What minor thing can you do to help? And just get that ball rolling on a positive footprint helping reduce their carbon footprint. And it takes a minute to be able to do that. I think working with kids, creating that wiring early is so freaking important. Now, the next question is, how do you get past the stigma that somehow has happened in the science, in the sciences? There's so many people who are like, Ooh, that's math. And they like back up a step or, Oh, that's physics. Oh, that's chemistry. Any of the science, for some reason, when I work with kids, it's always a negative start when kids, you're right, are they're born curious. We beat that out of them when they go to break the egg and we say, hey, don't drop that. That was a physics experiment or they're banging on the pots and pans. And I stole all this from Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> but, it's, but it is true. And I like to say it. Yeah, but it is. They're so curious. How did we how do you think we got that stigma and how do you get past it? I think you just let them explore. And you don't say this is math. This is science, because you're right. You know, at an early age, those terms seem to carry a stigma that is ridiculous. So let them play, let them explore, let them make a mess, let them start to come through the problem solving method without telling them, oh, this is the scientific method. You're just solving a problem. Mm -hmm. And then after they felt confident and successful, then you tell them, you know, you just did some pretty heavy level math or, you know, this is actually called physics and chemistry so that they already have that positive feeling about the thing. And then you attach a term to it. Yeah, that's a great idea. It's just it takes away the fact that they're doing it until after they've done it. Right. So they can't say, well, that's hard stuff. Well, it can't be. You just did it. See how easy you did it with a smile. You know, you, you worked your way right through that like nothing. Let's try something different and right. see if, you know, and then. 
that's a good idea because it does kind of diffuse the whole concept. And I don't even know how it happened where those words became scary, but it, it is absolutely a thing. And it happens to adults just as much as kids. Oh, most heard, definitely. You know, I can't math. Well, uh, you do it every day. <laughs> you went to the grocery store. I guarantee you math. Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It has become a verb, isn't it? It's such an odd thing. <laughs> so now you have this site that helps people with education. I One of the things I saw on there is you do face-to-face -face education. You do online education. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. So I've... I run the gamut of things that I offer. If you go to my website, any one of the blogs that I that I write that walks an educator or a parent or a student through a science lesson, there's always a free printable for you. I want to make the science that I create accessible. I mm -hmm. don't want there to be a barrier um, for students or parents to be able to get material. And so all of that on my website is free and freely available. I also offer in-person classes um, I'm actually doing a workshop about composting at my local library in another week. Um, and I know, composting. I, I know the chemistry <laughs> of composting, I could talk about it all day long. I love it. And I also do, I've done a lot of, especially during COVID times, uh, teamed up with some other uh, teachers that I've met through social media. It's funny, the power of social media. And we've hosted some online workshops. I do some online uh, homeschooling teaching for various homeschooling groups that are some of their content is online and so i run the gamut on my website you can you can reach out to me and i'm willing to to do just about anything in terms of the science education piece because i think it's it's so important so even if you don't live in pennsylvania you're accessible they can yes. contact you they can get online lessons it could be anything from lessons to it looks like a, to a demonstration of science topics so all of those are okay. Yes, absolutely. I can walk you through science concepts. We can do a lesson, demonstrations, or even a you know a topical workshop on on sustainability and how it melds with science. What about educators who haven't made that connection yet? Can they contact you and have those conversations, or you show them a class that they can take to their classroom? Absolutely, absolutely, most definitely. I'd easily be able to walk teachers through and educators, whether you're traditional or non-traditional educators, um, to be able to give you the materials so that they could confidently go to their students and be able to present a lesson. I okay. try to write the content that I create that it's not, I provide the science, but I simplify it enough so that if students can understand it, teachers and educators may not versed in science will be able to understand it and feel confident that they can deliver it and not think, oh my gosh, I've gotten myself knee deep into a concept I don't understand. All right. I might be opening a can of worms here so you can punch me later if we <laughs> ever are close enough to do so. But I, I assume that if someone has contacted you and even purchased like a class, you'll help them if they have a question, right? Oh, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> I love to talk science. I might reach out to them and say, can I help? <laughs> <laughs> Just checking. I'm not trying to flood the inbox, but there's a lot of educators who worry about STEM. There's a lot of educators that think it's much more challenging than it is. And I want to make sure that as a resource, if there's questions or even real basic, like, hey, I tried this and this happened, you can go, no, 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 no. It's like, just make this little change and you'll be good to go. A lot of times it's a short conversation, but, the, but as a resource, you're there. 
Absolutely. Most definitely. I've worked with teachers all across the country that have reached out and said, oh, I've tried this. How can I make the experiment go faster? Or how can I, how can I tweak it? Because I don't have access to X, but I have a whole lot of Y. And so I'm constantly tweaking things to, to hopefully make it as easy and as accessible to them as I can. Okay. And I, I assume you'll even do demonstrations if they want to just pipe it right into the classroom. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. I've zoomed into all kinds of classrooms. <laughs> uh, Bill Nye your way into every classroom humanly possible. Yes, you bet. <laughs> Excellent. That's all exciting to me. I, I'm a nerd. It is what it is. And I just love the fact that there's people out there who are, I am not capable of doing the videos and paying attention to what I'm doing. I would love to say I am. I'm just not. I would forget the cameras there. I'd wander out of the frame. I would just do silly things. So <laughs> thank you for being that person that I can't even pretend to be. Oh, no problem. I, I can't say it's always, always perfect, but it is always 100% real. So <laughs> that's all we ask for. Right, right. All right. All right. So I'm going to try to say it right again, because I think I'm going to try to nail it a second time. But I don't want to spend the whole time in one space because you have raising global kittens also. You nailed I, it. Well I, done. <laughs> in case anybody's wondering, I practiced that several days because I screwed it up several times. So tell us a little more about this organization. So raising global kittens actually developed out of a friendship that I made via social media with another mom who actually wound up only living about an hour and a half away from me. And she's had a blog for about 10 years about sustainability for modern families. I'll give her a little plug. It's called Honestly Modern. Her name is Jen and she's fabulous. She's a mom of two kids just like me. And we started connecting over sustainability and funny enough, over composting. She also had at the time run a uh, curbside composting business in the suburbs of Philadelphia. And not only is she well-versed in composting, but she is also an absolute book nerd and has read, I think, almost half of her own library selection. And she had started curating this list of picture books that kids could read to be able to address uh, the United Nations 17 Sustainable Development Goals. And for anyone listening, if you're not uh, familiar with the UN Sustainable Development Goals, they're basically a list of 17 goals that address everything from food insecurity to access to clean water, poverty, access to equal opportunities for education. They run the gamut to be able to have a sustainable world going forward and that no one is left behind. And so she created this great list of picture books. And I said to her, well, what are we going to do with these? Like, this is great educational content. Like, we could create all of these great workbooks. We could talk about STEM and English language arts and social studies and math. And we could really take these books and create an entire curriculum for teachers. And she looked at me as not being an educator at all and said, well, how are we going to do that? I said, well, I got an idea. <laughs> so together we put together Raising Global Kittisons, which is a platform for educators, teachers, parents, anyone that's interested in working any of those sustainable development goals, not just in the areas of science, but in any area of their classroom, maybe they're doing a social studies unit and they want to address uh, water access across the globe. They can come to our site and find, in my opinion, well-written, thoroughly developed lessons that they can use in their classroom to be able to address 
those goals in an age appropriate way. Obviously, poverty is a is a hard topic. And so we make sure that we create resources for different grade bands, K through two, three to five, and six to eight. So that as you delve into some of these topics, you're talking about them in a way that are easy to understand for students and give them access to all of these sustainable development goals. Yeah, there's a lot of things in there that would be pretty heavy topics. Yes. Because there's a lot of social justice. There's water access. And anybody who listens to this show know I go on rants about water, clean water and clean air access on a regular basis. Yes. Uh, How can you communicate to younger students things like social justice? Adults can't handle having that conversation. How do we do it with kids? I tell you what, I my hat's off to authors of children's picture books. They have done a phenomenal job in creating resources that address these topics in a way that kids can understand. Talking about what poverty looks like, um, talking about what not having access to clean water looks like. We've also come across a lot of excellent online resources. There's a, a website called Dollar Street, which actually you may, you can tap into the website and it say you're interested in sanitation. Okay. And kids can see, it sounds funny, but they can see what toilets look like across the world. They can see, oh, an American toilet, that looks like this. Oh, but what about in Ethiopia? What about in the Philippines? What about in a European country? What do those things look like that I'm so used to? And how does that affect water quality? How does that affect clean air? And so there's so many resources out there that that's why Raising Global Citizens, we want to just have a spot for all of those great resources that others have created and that we've created so that you can really dive into topics that can be scary and teachers may decide to or want to avoid, want to, want to address, but don't know how to address. Yeah, and that's, and that's really what it is, is. I'm sure every educator, because they're very passionate individuals, want to be able to bring up every topic. But between being able to explain it at a level in which the children can absorb or possibly being hot topics and causing grief, it makes people kind of tiptoe. And I'll tell you, I wish I kind of had those examples as a kid because as I, as an adult, I had to travel and I got picked on all the time trying to figure out, okay, I'm in Europe. Why is there two toilets in here? And why is that facing the wrong way? <laughs> like, I don't, I didn't know. I had never experienced some of these things. And it happens everywhere I go. And it does kind of broaden the world if a, if a student or a child can see how it's different in different places. Not right or wrong, just different. Right. And I think a, a good piece, too, is builds empathy. So there's a real sense of understanding where everyone is at in the world. And, and not everyone clearly is the same or or homes do not look the same or food does not look the same and that doesn't mean it's better or worse but it's different it is and it's totally confusing to a person who shows up for the first time hearing my whole life how wonderful we are i almost felt like there was going to be a parade when i got off the plane and there wasn't i was just another person (laughs) or how in europe the roads are way skinnier and the cars are way smaller and you know, shoot, I'm a big guy. If I fell in the shower, I only would have fell about six inches. It's a very small space. Like I had to just got stuck. You know, it's so 
so different and it's great for kids to understand because i tell my father all the time if you don't want to be angry at other countries visit them you know it really honestly go go travel go visit go see it's very different than what your tv generally tells you it is a lot of fun it is really enjoyable and i think it's what you're doing there is kind of diffusing the fear of travel little bit by little bit just by showing differences and i find that to be amazing thank you and hopefully too you know how as an educator it's so hard to be able to work in topics like hunger and poverty and water access because you're going by a list of standards and you've got to make sure you're prepared for testing and it's hard if an educator wants to bring in topics like that how to do it so we've tried to make them as easy as possible to integrate into a classroom. So a teacher says, okay, I, I do need, I need a reading lesson and I need it to be at a second grade level. Well, here, why don't you read about water quality? So they can slowly bring those into the classroom, but still be able to hit the targets that they're required to teach. Yeah, because I think sometimes uh, there's so many rules around public schools in GSS standards and things that you have to stay within. Sometimes yeah. you can give a framework and they, they may have to go in and find where it hits these standards or how they can kind of twist it a little bit to hit those standards. But it's getting that framework, getting those topics, getting the science side of it in a way that's easily digestible is the biggest hurdle for a classroom and an educator. I know for us it is because right. if you do so many things so many times it becomes stale people quit listening and you got to kind of change it up a lot and I think it's really important to have those resources. Thank you for putting them online of course. The other, the other thing is how do you feel how do you cuz you named it raising global citizens. Mm-hmm. How does this make them a better citizen locally and globally? Well, I really think it builds an awareness and it builds an appreciation for other cultures. And it opens their eyes to be able to look past themselves. We're raising kids in a selfie generation. And I really, really hope that my kids are not, I'm not affected by always being so focused on self. I want them to see where they fit in a community. And that community always should win out over self. And so by, doing these things with raising global citizens or hoping to build that that understanding and that empathy and that love for community and that absolute like just again getting back to that piece of they're just curious the curiosity of other cultures in a in a beautiful way well and, and we're, I'm going to get us off script now because you're talking about local communities that's a fight that i have to work on on a regular basis in a world where everybody does what you and i are doing right now communicating over the internet where people would more rather text than call in a place where they'd rather have it delivered even though it's six buildings down the street how do you get kids wanting to be outside and talking to others like how do how does that even happen i tell you what it's a it's a, a fight that i think all of us as parents and as educators are are actively battling. And if they can find importance in getting out in the community and they see that their presence in that community matters and that they're being a helper, that they can really have a place in their community and they're not just some kid, but that they have a role to play. You know, everyone wants to be, everyone wants to feel needed. Everyone wants to feel important. It's an innate human desire. And so if we can do that for kids and see that your role in this community matters, 
When you pick up that litter on your way to the bus stop, that matters. When you say hello, when you actually go to the grocery store um, and say hello to the checkout person, that matters. When you go and visit your local farmer's market, that matters. Um, and if we can demonstrate that as grownups and adults, kids can see that and hopefully we'll follow suit. So how do you, and I'm going to ask a question I didn't prep you on, but how, how those kids stigma things, they just have such a hard time with picking up the trash and throwing it away is an easy thing to do unless you're with a friend that picks on you for picking up the trash and throwing it away. How do these lessons give confidence into a student to be their own person, to be their own citizen and not necessarily worry about the outside view of others? Well, I, I hope that's where the, the logic and reasoning of the science comes in because they can say, well, you know, when I pick this up, this means this plastic isn't going to sit in our water because I don't want to drink dirty water. Because, you know, this isn't going to biodegrade because that word doesn't actually mean anything. They can answer it quickly. Someone can look at them and say, okay, they know what they're talking about. And then it's done, you know, because that confidence they need, they need that basic knowledge to feel confident and knowing that what they're doing isn't uncool. It's just logical, just like brushing our teeth. Okay. So I also said author. I'm going to need you to elaborate. <laughs> sure. Sure. So thanks for asking. So I was actually asked to be a part of a book that was a collaboration of seven parents from across the globe, and it is called How to Raise a Global Citizen. And in the book, we get seven different perspectives from mothers and fathers trying to raise good citizens. And so obviously my background's more scientific, so I shared ways that I try to meld science and sustainability to be able to give my students and my own children and appreciation and a love for the natural world and how their choices can make a positive impact. And parents that contributed to the book have all sorts of unique ways in which they work towards raising their own global citizens. Excellent. I assume that can be found on at least one of the sites. Yes, yes. We have an entire spot dedicated to it on raising global citizens from the drop down menu. It just says book. And that's that's the only ones you can get it right there. It's also sold on all of the places that you could get a book or check it out from your local library. Um, requesting books from a local library is always the best way to go, in my opinion, because after you read it, maybe someone else will too. too. Yeah, I've always said if you if you've read a book and you bought it, give it to someone else who hasn't read it yet. I know it's not great for producing a strong income as an author, but we're sustainability authors. We kind of have to balance it out a little bit. So Right, right. Not we, in the market to make lots of money, just yeah. on a livable planet. So <laughs> Right, right. So now you have blogging. Where is that found? Yes, I do a lot of blogging and you can find that on thoughtfullysustainable.com. Excellent. So we're getting ready to kind of wrap up here. I haven't touched the Instagram. I will tell you, I'm kind of new to Instagram. I now have it to where it's tied to the Facebook stuff and things get posted and we're starting to collect people. I do nothing but post. I'm not fancy or cool. I am not an influencer in any way. Although my kids thought it was crazy that I was going to interview an influencer, just so you know, like it may be a paragraph of things that make you famous, but they just the term influencer, they like lost their mind. So <laughs> tell us the kinds of things that are showing up on your Instagram on a regular basis. And when we're done, we'll go through where everybody can find you on everything. Sure. 
So on Instagram, um, I'm constantly making short videos of the science lessons that I'm doing. I'm also sharing ways that my family tries to live more sustainably. So on any given day, you might see my laundry hanging on the line, or you may see what I'm putting in the compost currently, or maybe how I've just gave away some things on my free, free cycle group. So it's a little bit of both. You got a little bit of science and a little bit of sustainability. Um, and my kids always pop on too. So a little bit of entertainment, but a lot of learning. I hope so. That's, that's the hope. <laughs> All right. Well, one thing we always have to do with new guests is tell us where everybody can find you all of your things. So in, in case anybody's wanting, the links will be in the show. So you don't have to memorize them, but here we go. Sure. So you can find me on most social media channels. I'm on Instagram and I'm on Facebook. I've also got a YouTube channel that walks through some of the science experiments in a little more uh, in more depth. Uh, some of them are actually translated into Spanish, thanks to a friend of mine, uh, to make them even a little bit more accessible to our bilingual students. And you can also find me if you're wondering about my credentials. I'm active on LinkedIn. So you can see that, yep, I do have a science background and I do have my teaching certification. So I promise you, I'm not just making up some silly stuff about science. One thing about science, it's really hard to fake it. <laughs> right, right, right. Let's hope. <laughs> well, because... Two reasons. Number one, things won't work if you get it wrong. But the other thing is the science community is real big on calling each other out. So it's real hard to fake science. So true. So true. I also like to dabble on Pinterest too. And another side of thoughtfully sustainable is my kids love to make crafts. So we're always crafting stuff out of stuff we have at the house, egg cartons, water bottles, you know, so fun holiday stuff and just fun crafts to make. And a lot of that's on Pinterest. So you can find Thoughtfully Sustainable just about anywhere you look. Sounds like a great idea. And I will be because I, I missed the YouTube. I'm going to need the YouTube. So I'll, I'll get all of that put in at the bottom of the show. So if anybody wants to click and see and discover and maybe I'm hoping some of the educators I know will immediately go in there and start looking to download. But thank you so very much for taking time out of your day. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Mike. It was such a great time talking to you. It was, and we'll have to do it again sometime. For the, for those of you listening, if you if you want any of this information, like I said, it will be down in the chat section or in the, I don't even know what you call it now, the description section of the podcast. And thank you all for tuning in, listening, taking your time with us. Remember, each week we get together to do very something very simple, get a little bit better. Little bit, little bit, big bit. Thank you so much. I'm Mike. And I'm Jessica. And at least I'll see you next week. <laughs> Bye.